0: In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome
1: to Moving Forward.
0: Welcome to Moving Forward. I am your host this week, Krista Nepper, and today I have a very special, not just guest, but friend of mine, Jennifer Covington. Jennifer is a life coach, business strategist, and action instigator, which I love that last piece of the title. So Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. I know this is going to be a worthwhile conversation. You have a lot of insight and personal experience to share. So let's go ahead and get started. Um I always like to start with the hard stuff just to kind of get it out of the way. And I know for me, knowing my core wound has been a really empowering piece. So we'll just start out with what was the hardest thing that has happened to you and how did you overcome it?
1: Yeah. So um, I I don't know what the hardest thing um, specifically, like a standout um, incident. But I do think um, a hard thing just growing up is kind of... Being on the outside or not accepted and definitely um, my story is being, you know, the only black girl growing up kind of in a white neighborhood and school. And so um, when I was younger, in fact, I went to a school that was, you know, K through 12, 12th grade. And out of the everyone in that entire school, there was like me and another girl were the only too. People of color at all, yeah. Wow. I wish I wish I had the stat of just how many people attend that school, but it was you know it was its own little world, and so yeah, just always having that outsider feel and like, oh, your hair is so cool, and being petted, and Ooh. you know, just like all that otherness. Um, and when you don't really have the context, it's like, oh, am I different? Is there something different about me? You know, so Ooh. that. Yeah, (laughs) that I mean, that's such
0: a great comment, because we don't, you know, learn that we're different or, you know, when we're little, and it's only when we go into certain situations what we that we realize that, is this not okay? Is this not the norm? And it might not, you know, strike you at first that, whoa, but yeah, that's a great observation. And you grew up in St. Louis, right? Yes, Which St. Louis, been, Yeah, in the news recently, lots of right. controversy. Um, and I right. know that you and I had spoken about the fact that you were bullied in school a little bit, and that was something that was hard for you. Can you give us a little bit of context to that?
1: Well, then later in life, um, I guess just how I grew up, you know um, – Again, like you I guess my mannerisms, the way I talked wasn't typical of a black girl. And so the bullying came in with that, like, oh, is your mom white or you're black on the outside, white on the inside, and that whole thing. And it was I know. So being called an Oreo, anyone who's grown up like me, like I've had talks with people who are like, Yes, me too. Like that it's such a thing. It's awful. So I used to like hate the word for the longest time. Sure. Um And so that, and I feel like in grade school, it was kind of a thing, but in junior high, it was, it got pretty terrifying because I guess it was like the big eighth graders and it would be guys, you know, and I was like, why do you even care? But it would, it would be terrifying, like during passing time, you know, um, encountering that. Um,
0: yeah, I think that's one of the things that's really hard for somebody for somebody else to understand is the sense that you were it was all sides. It wasn't that you had it sounds as though, and correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't really have a safe space. It was coming from white, it was coming from black, it was coming from all around you.
1: Yeah, I feel like um I did, you know, my friends so in junior high were pretty much majority all white and you know i just i again didn't see anything wrong with it because i was like well they're nice to me you know and i would hear other girls talking about each other behind their back like each other's back and i was like well my friends are genuine at least so um yeah it was it was actually more so coming um from the black community actually so that's uh, yeah. Yeah. It was hard though because it's like, man, I would think that's not how it would be. So
0: Yeah, definitely. Um one of the questions that, you know, this conversation might get a little bit difficult and but I think that it's something that's needed in, you know, just with the context of what's going on now. But can I ask you some candid questions about, you know, yeah. first and foremost, why is it different for people that don't understand or maybe they didn't grow up hmm. around minorities and don't have a context for this? What's different about being black versus a mu- another minority race in America?
1: Um, I mean, it's hard. I I mean, I would, of course, have to open with, you know, I don't know the experience of someone else. Of course. But, but I do know that, you know, just I mean, it sounds maybe trite um, even, but just the history of slavery, yes. I just feel like we're not super removed from it, you know, like my grandma, you know, grew up in that age. And so, um, it's really, you know, someone who I've talked to and spent time with constantly, you know, so we're not that far removed. And so I just feel like that history, um, is really still present now. And so I think the, the black experience, um, really in America, the black experience in America is, um, unique in that way. Um, and same, just like, I think of my parents, especially like my dad, you know, just working in corporate America and he would be talking about this person and that person and his boss and, you know, kind of like the man holding you down. And as I grew up and learned history, I'm like, yeah, you know, when you grew up, you couldn't drink out of certain drinking fountains because of your skin color. And now you're working alongside of these people. And it's kind of, I could see how that would be a trip and, Um, I think, again, specifically for, like, the African-American experience in America, um, I think it just really stems from the slavery and, um, you know, versus a a different – someone of a different ethnic background, you know, I think there's a lot of parallels, but it's still not the same. It's not the same. So, for whatever it's worth.
0: No, I agree with you. I think that that's not trite in any manner, and I think – You know, as a white American, it's something that you read about in history books. And it, you know, is in the same context as, you know, crossing the Delaware and all these other things. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about real people, real lives that were impacted, a group of people, Americans that did not come to this country of their own accord. And even after slavery, there were no reparations. It was still a very violent, unsafe place in the South, in a lot of places in America, but particularly in the South, where it wasn't, you know, oh, someone was being mean to me and they didn't allow me to register. to to vote, just like I couldn't join the Foursquare game. Someone, you know, murdered relatives of mine in a very violent and demeaning way in order to send a message for me to be silent.
1: Exactly. Right. All the humiliation and holding people down. And yeah, it's all there. And it's still very alive in the psyche, um, you know, of, of just I feel like black Americans in America. I mean, I even feel like this is super taboo, but... Even like the term African-American, you know, it's like a lot, America's a melting pot of a lot of people. And definitely as far as I've been able to trace my family, it's only in America, you know? And so it's like, I'm American. I've been here for years and years and years, but it's just like, it's a way to keep that divide of like, you're, yeah, you're American, but you, you came from somewhere else. That kind of whole, um, messaging constantly.
0: What's so interesting you say that because, you know, in no way related, but I grew up in, you know, a very small town in Indiana and it wasn't until I moved to the East Coast that people really tried to peg me into a group. So, you know, if somebody was Portuguese, they would say, oh, are you Portuguese or are you Italian or are you Greek or whatever it happens to be? And they really had to have this context and identification that I had never experienced growing up in middle America where I did. So... yeah, I don't know. Do you have any insight as to what's behind that? That we well, have to be identified?
1: I, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I do think for the, I mean, I think African American, the term came about to be, you know, politically correct and it's to be respect, you know, like a, yes. respectable. And so yeah. I take it that way. But I also think too that it's like, well, but then you're never calling yourself American because I do feel like, right people with other ethnic backgrounds they're not identified as a slash of a you know italian American or anything like that but yet like African American that's the thing and since because of our history you know our as in America's history as in our history, you know yeah. that that tag is like always the re- remember like you were brought here and all the history and so I think it keeps it very. Instead of just saying you're American, you know, which is why I just say black because, I mean, it's just just a label and so, you know, an identifier.
0: Yeah. That's why we need to be having these candid conversations because, you know, we don't know. So, yeah. And when we don't talk about it, it just festers. Yeah, definitely. So you are currently a life coach business strategist. Um, And I know that you have been in the Peace Corps previously. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Started off corporate America, um, became interested in coaching, and then went abroad with the Peace Corps. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and how that came about? And maybe also how your coaching program uh, really benefited and provided insight for you as you uh, went to these rural communities?
1: Yeah. I, so yeah, I was working in corporate, um, out of college and, um, I don't know, I've always had a heart for service. I feel like both of my parents grew up, you know, we would always volunteer, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and work at soup kitchens and do all types of stuff. And I always loved the feeling of volunteering and giving back. And so that's always been, um, something, I don't know, just part of my fabric. And then, um, Yeah, I'm also just like a passionate, free spirit, follow your heart type. And so, I mean, long story short, just trying to, you know, find my passion and moving jobs, you know, every other year, pretty much. Um, I was in my last job and I had always said that I would do the Peace Corps and most people do the Peace Corps out of... College and probably just the Peace Corps seemed like the ultimate volunteer experience for the person who loves a volunteer Mm -hmm. and travel. Um, And so I was like, "Huh, why not apply now?" You know, and I just um, was approaching my 30s, but had I was still in my 20s, and I didn't really have anything tying me down. And so I was like, "Well, I didn't do do it out of college, but why not?" apply and see. I had heard it's a gruesome application process, which it is. Um, so I was like, I'll start the application process. And if at any point I'm not into it, I just won't complete it. And then they won't accept me. So that's fine. Um, and I ended up getting chosen and, um, I went to Ecuador, and many will say that you know going to Ecuador was like winning the Peace Corps lottery. It was amazing, and I got to learn Spanish um, and I was working with single mothers in a rural community, um, teaching them business development and same with orphaned youth, um, teaching the teenagers kind of life skills and how to develop small businesses so they could sustain themselves if they didn't have families that could help them. So it was it was great because I could use all my corporate training and use um, you know my coaching that I've gotten certified for and it really is what catapulted me into doing my own thing and my own business returning back to the to the states.
0: That's great. I had a couple of questions. So you mentioned yeah. your age and how you were approaching your thirties. So how do yeah. you think that impacted the way you viewed the experience? I know there was <laughs> a point in time where I was you know pretty attached to my amenities in my house. So, you know, and as I get older, I become more so. So how mm-hmm. did that impact uh, your transition to Ecuador?
1: Oh, my gosh. It was totally fine. I, I What I was thinking was that the younger – volunteers were definitely more down like to party and to let loose and to kick it you know and so i felt different that way cuz i was like there about the business and right. they were they were calling us like the the i can't remember they called us like the career transfer people who weren't empty nesters and weren't college graduates there was a few of us that kind of left the the corporate track and so um yeah it, that was different but as far as leaving amenities i don't know i i feel like In my 20s, I was even more so just like in touch with the free spirit, bohemian side of like, you know, what you own owns you kind of feeling. And I didn't want to be tied down. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Felt it strongly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just now getting out of, not just, I mean, I guess like a couple years now of, you know, when I moved um, to Northern California where I am now and it's like, oh, we're getting a couch. Okay. Okay. So we're getting these big pieces of furniture because I was used to being able to have all my needs like on my back, you know, in a backpack. Mm, so, yeah, okay, yeah. And I feel like I'm getting the itch again. Like, all right, let's just purge and be free. <laughs> so <laughs> it's part it's part of my makeup, but okay. I, I do feel nestier. But that's why, yeah, I would – I would like it to look where I have a base and I can travel extensively and then always come back to my nest is kind of what's showing up now for me.
0: Okay. I like yeah. It. So let me ask you too. You mentioned I won
1: the Peace Corps lottery, lottery with Ecuador. Why is <laughs> totally. that? Why do people say that? Um. So Ecuador was – For I didn't even know where it was. I thought it was in Central America. It's actually in South America. Um. And it's tiny. It's the size of Colorado. So – you, it just doesn't get a lot of, I don't know, attention. Or at least in my circles, it didn't. Sure. Um yeah. It, and so it was one thing. When I think of Ecuador, I was thinking of, you know, hot and... Um, what did you know? Like, I see those pictures of like women with lilies with like long black straight hair. You know, like that's what I kind of thought of Ecuador, kind of like the Peruvian look, I guess. And it's actually very diverse. So there's the beach and it's hot, and there's also the Amazon and that's hot and it's, you know, forest and jungle, and then um, they also have the mountains, which is the Sierras, and so it was very diverse in landscape, and then it's also very diverse in, you know, there's a lot of mixing from the Spanish, mm. so I, so the single mothers that I worked with were actually Afro-Ecuadorians, and so if I didn't talk, <laughs> I looked just like them, and I could pass, you know, and um, <laughs> it was really interesting because there we could share stories of, like, discrimination that we had experienced that were very similar. Um, and it was really incredible. And, um, yeah, it was just amazing. Cause again, since it was small, you could take a bus and go to the mountains and go to the beach and go to the, to the jungle. And, um, you know, in the Sierras people were completely different, like shorter and stockier for like lugging things on their back up the mountain. And oh, wow. it was just really incredible. So in the big cities, you would see all kinds of like in the big cities, you would see all different types of people just like it was America. And I I didn't expect that. And so um, it was it was just really a rich experience. And I loved it. It was awesome. So how did
0: just in a little bit more detail, how did your coach training and your experience in corporate America impact what it was that you did in Ecuador working with single mothers building their own business orphans and all that you did?
1: Yeah. So with the single moms, it was actually a group of women who are in a very impoverished, dangerous neighborhood. And they actually had come together to try to make a difference in their neighborhood. And I remember my mom actually came to visit me and she was like, so the, you know, like everyone is in an unfortunate situation, but they're still like trying to give back within their own community. And it was oh, wow. true, you know, these women had the biggest hearts and um, really had a vision and, um, you know, they just needed the skills. And so, um, yeah, you know, I was able to, like the last job I was in was actually accounting. So I was helping them with their bookkeeping. They had several different little businesses like, um, a community store where they were able to offer discounted prices so people could afford it. And then they had a cafeteria that they were giving away free lunches. So everyone, especially the children could eat every day. And the issue was they would do things like take, you know, take a bag of rice from the, from the store and, serve lunch that day. But then that's them taking a loss from their business. So I was trying, I was helping them with accounting, you know, so that was all corporate training. That wasn't anything I was reading books on. That's not my passion, you know? Yeah. And so it was just really great to, um, be able to take things that I just had to do for a paycheck at one point to then really be able to feed into, you know, a really great mission and empower those women. So, um, just, just things like that. Like I was drawing on everything and it made it all make sense. Um, and I found that I was drawing more so even of my coaching um, with the orphaned youth just because they were all different ages, you know, from zero to 18 pretty much. So um, I would do workshops with life skills, talking about life skills and, um, you know, self-esteem mm-hmm. and where we would talk about machismo and, you know, Ooh. how the whole men and women – I don't know the the discourse. Yeah, energy. Yeah, definitely. Oh gosh, so that was that was something. Wait, how old were these kids? Oh, this and so that would be more my teen group. So, fifteen to eighteen. Bigger concepts for teenagers, I think. Yeah, you know, and I it was a group, and I actually it was from the orphanage, and then we would go to a bigger city and, and meet up. And so I had found myself in a mix of some some standout kids that were. Were emerging as leaders, you know, in their, in their small towns. So it was really great, again, to be able to see those people that just had that thing in them to be able to cultivate that so that they would go on and kind of spread the message and be that catalyst, you know, and yeah, it was way easier talking to them. I also would do workshops with grownups and having that machismo talk with, you know, 40-year-old men was way harder than with 15-year-olds.
0: Well, and even, yeah, especially – In a way. Yeah, definitely. Masculine feminine energy is one of the concepts where I get the biggest pushback where people, yeah, yeah, can reject it really, really outright instead of being Mm -hmm. open to it. I'm not sure why it's such a triggering concept, but definitely that's where I find the most uh, resistance. So I can only imagine it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, because there's masculine and feminine, because I'll admit, um, I just recently, you know, learned about that yeah. um, in, the, in the retreat, in the Maui retreat um, that we've attended together. Yes. But before that, I'm trying to think, I I really feel like that was my intro. And I guess I'd heard like, oh, yogis or someone talk about feminine energy. And I'm like, oh, isn't that nice to like be just like, I don't know, a woman, I thought, just like love that you're a woman. And I do, but mine comes in the form of like, girl power. And so Mm -hmm. when, when I was doing those workshops, I was coming from the point of like, women are equal, we're smart, we have, you know, but it was still more of like girl power, you go girl, you know, that energy versus, versus the real universal dichotomy of like feminine and masculine and the energy of it. So it's 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 new if you've never heard it it is something to wrap your mind around and and if you're not open to it then yeah it's you reject it immediately
0: well i can see both of those pieces being rejected by a 40 year old machismo
1: (laughs) oh yeah i was like if she has on heels she wants me to whistle at her i'm like oh boy no no that's
0: not what we're talking about that's yeah hey moving forward listeners if you're enjoying today's episode consider supporting the podcast you can purchase a copy of The Corporate Cliché's Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. What did you love most about your Peace Corps experience?
1: Oh what God. really stands out? Yeah. Um. I mean in general, the openness, you know, like I'm struggling with my Spanish and people were really so patient and everyone was just like really open and really appreciated just someone being from a different country and um, doing their best, you know, and not everyone knew why I was there, everyone I encountered. So definitely the people who I was volunteering with so appreciated the help, even if I felt like I was worthless some days, because, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm you know, a mess, you know, it's, it's the craziest sure. thing to go over there. Um, we had a psychologist come and talk to us in training and she was like, what you're doing is the equivalent of, you know, putting on bunny ears and a bunny tail and like going to Wall Street and being like, does anyone need any help? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> What are you thinking? Like, you don't what speak the ideology. language. Yeah. You know? Like, what are you doing pretty much? Right. And so, and I, I definitely had days of feeling like that, of even being like, I'm smarter than this, but you guys don't know because I'm talking like an infant because that's the only way I can communicate right now, you know, yeah. with four weeks of language. So, um, so the kindness, you know, people were really open and like, oh yeah, no, I understand and whatever, just really open it because I feel like my experience in the U.S., is that if anyone shows any type of foreign anything, it's not as openly received in general, you know, not. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Not like any of my friends or my circles, but in general, there's a, there's a level of intolerance for accents and whatever, different cultures, different food, you know? So I was, that was like amazing. And I really appreciated it. Um, And specifically with the women that I was working with, because I was, I worked with them first when my language was worse and it was a big city. And I just, you know, it was a culture shock and we're so close. I realized later is because they took me in like an infant, you know, because I could walk and breathe and like, you know, fill a cup of water myself. But beyond that, I couldn't, you know, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know how to talk. I, you know, it was just a mess and they really, really nurtured me. You know, I had a family member passed away while I was in Ecuador, and they were you know there to care for me and nurture me through that and so it was just like a really, really close bond that we had and I think it's just because i was <laughs> I was such a mess at first, or you know, and they were they were really patient with me and loved me through that so in general and specifically that's that's what I loved the most about it
0: right wow, what a gift it's funny yeah. as you're talking about. Patience. I realize how impatient I am with not just other people, but with myself. And my own experiences abroad and not knowing the language, I was never in the Peace Corps. But just, you know, relating to the idea of I am speaking like a two-year-old and I'm pointing
1: and I can ask how much things (laughs) cost,
0: but that's about it, you
1: know? Yeah, just you don't know how smart I am or, yeah, I'm more intelligent than this. But (laughs) it's so – I was like when I get home, I'm going to be killing it at charades because (laughs) – Um, but it was really cool because my mom does these different trainings um, for adults and teaches, like, classes, and she was saying after I would talk so much about, um, you know, my frustration or just how hard it was, she was like, yeah, you know, when I would have teach classes of different, you know, people in different from different cultures and they'd be on their lunch breaks and speaking in their native tongue, she would tell them, like, don't, like, you need to speak in English so we can all understand. And she's like, oh, I just feel so bad about that now because mm. – yeah. It's so hard <laughs> to have to always think in another language and Absolutely. you know you just don't know what you don't know, but again, being able to live a thing and for that to make an impact on someone else and 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 increase the tolerance, like that's the whole point. And so um I you know, and your parents are tough like nuts to crack yeah yeah I was like, well, that's
0: that's great. that's awesome. yeah, definitely. I love that. So I know when you transitioned back to the States, it was not the easiest thing. Can you talk to us a little bit about your return culture shock?
1: Yeah, it's a really bizarre thing. Um, People definitely say. And I was gone for three years. Um, And so um, it was just a trip because – when you go to a foreign country, it's foreign, but you expect things to be foreign, so it's like, all right, culture shock. Yeah, let's work through this. And it's all exotic, and you can blog about it. But coming back home, to your street that you grew up on. It was really weird. You know, I like went to the local supermarket and almost had a meltdown because there were so many choices and there were so many options, and I had to choose. And it, you know, there's just like stacks of chips to the ceiling. And it was just so abundant and so much of everything. And it was, it was just too much or how clean everything was. Um, And, and just to incorporate myself back as a citizen of getting my car registered and getting my insurances up and how much it cost, and just how many, how many things there were versus just being, you know, there, there's a lot to incorporate yourself just as you know, a person living in your mom's basement. Right. Citizen USA. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, it was, it was a shock and it was stressful. It was really stressful and it took a long time to acclimate and everyone who's come back said between nine months to a year and everyone who I know who was living in Northern California, you know, now with me that was in the Peace Corps We're like, Oh yeah, it was a year. Definitely a year. Yeah. Wow. And I
0: remember the quote you had said about it "It costs a lot of money to be broke. And I thought that was so brilliant about I never thought about if I gave up everything and yet had to come back in car and registration and, you know, phone, all of those different accoutrements that Uh, go with modern living. Wow. That's, you know, it's an upstart.
1: It was. It really, really was. That was hard. And yeah, I guess finally I I feel like an American citizen again. (laughs) But I felt really weird. The other thing was like being in a time capsule where, you know, I like had my purse or had my wallet or had a closet full of clothes that I'd be wearing. And my friends are like, are you still have that? But, you know, because it's like that was about four years ago that that was your favorite sweatshirt. But for me, it's just it was like a, a a time capsule because the last time I was there, that's what I had on. And so I'd gone somewhere and it's almost like you went into a time warp and came back so, things have moved on since, though. And so, um, it was really, really weird. Like, everything that I could recall was like four years old. Um, so, that mm. was weird. And always being called out on it. And again, yeah. it's just all that thing. Or, you know, people would be like, oh, how is the Peace Corps? And it's like, you know, one story. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, cool. So, anyway, have you seen Empire? It's a new show. And it's just like, okay, we're moving on. You know, it's, right. it's you've changed completely. Um, but people also went on with their lives. So it's just a trip. It's really, really a trip.
0: Wow. That's, yeah, yeah in the depth of your growth and then to, you know, hey, did you see? Yeah, that's mm, yeah, interesting. So how did your Peace Corps experience create space for the work you do today as a coach? And I love the phrase action instigator. So how <laughs> did
1: that transition occur? You know, I had my certification. So I kind of was like playing around with stuff and putting up a little bit of a presence while, you know, I was just there sometimes, you know, not a lot of internet or anything. Um, and so, but by the time I came back, um, I had read enough things that I was like, Oh, I could, I could branch out on my own and this be what I do full time because I was never coaching full time. Um, and so, and just, you know, one thing I learned in Ecuador, you know, especially when I lived on the beach, you know, people, there was just fishermen and they would fish and like drop off lobsters and fish to my door. Like, Oh, we have so much, like, just take it. And, you know, or there'd be like a guy on a hammock all freaking day. And I was like, I would never just lay on a hammock all day. Like, what is he doing? (laughs) Um, you know, and I would talk to people like the fishermen and stuff and they're like, all you got to do is go to the ocean, get some fish and then you're done for the day. Like what, what else are you working for? You know? And like, their thing would be that Americans work just for the sake of working. And they're like, you got to work to eat. So I work today. I'm going to eat like I'm going to enjoy the sun and the ocean. What else is there? Mm, um, and, that. It, and that was such a lesson. And I slowed down more there. I mean, to everyone else, they're like, there goes Jennifer. She's always on the go. She's always on time. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I did slow down because I used to have to-do lists of 25 things long. And then I, I had to learn that you get one or two things on a good day. And that's, you know, that's it. Or you know you're walking down the street going somewhere and people are like oh come in for lunch and then that's the rest of your day and i used to be stressed out like i have somewhere to be or no but i said you know whatever but it's like really laid back and cool and it's more like live life don't just work and um i'm such a hardwired worker for the sake of working so that was a lesson And so when I came back, I was like, yeah, this, I need to do what I love to do. And, you know, I know that coaching can be a lucrative endeavor and it's, you know, again, pulling from my corporate training, but it's also my coach training. And, um, you know, I could really make this uh, a business and being dedicated to having, having more meaning in life. Like I, I knew I couldn't go back to a cube or be working on the weekends and all that. Um, yeah yeah and that that was definitely directly related to my life in Ecuador and what the Ecuadorians taught me for sure.
0: I love that. I do remember one time similar story being in Costa Rica, I was there uh-huh. surfing, and there was a day where we just had these huge swells, and we stopped everything else we had planned, horseback riding or whatever it was and someone you know explained. The shops will be closed. We cannot go eat at the restaurant because no one will be there. This is what we do.
1: It, uh-huh. This is
0: what it's giving. What you know, nature gives to us. This is what we're going to take advantage today. And it's so simple, and it's oh so God. brilliant.
1: Yeah, I remember people were serious about their lunch breaks and siestas. You know, so yeah. even like men that were out somewhere working, they would come home. You know, and the wives would have like a real lunch for them. And I remember being in my last corporate job where if I took my hour and like didn't eat behind the desk, you know, I'd get glares and people would be like, oh, you went to lunch today, did you? You know, like, wow. Yeah. It was such a thing. And I'm like, can I not get out of working 60 hour weeks of hour lunch? Right. Um, you know, and like, even if you were taking like big long road trips on the bus, like the bus drivers would stop for an hour and eat like their bowl of soup and their rice and their chicken and, eat you know they weren't yeah. like oh, we got to get you here at this time so i mean the first time i was like are you kidding me but the next is like <laughs> bring a book go ahead and order you some lunch don't be mad you don't have to just eat graham crackers or whatever so right. yeah it's just honoring it's like why why rush why do the most why be hungry why be filling your body with to go food or whatever mm-hmm. um so again it's just The culture. It was the culture, though, to do that.
0: Yeah, I think we can all learn a lot about just being present, not thinking (laughs) about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and going, going, going. Yeah. What is the proudest thing that you have done so far? This is where you get to brag. If you need permission, there you go.
1: Back. Proud to me, though what I what I what it conjures up is inside. Like, what really made you proud? And I do feel like, in general, like my sense of self is what I'm proud of, oh, okay. and kind of doing my own thing. So even like again, being told I wasn't this enough or that enough, I feel like I always stuck to who I was, and that really benefited me you know, later in life, later in school, even, you know, when yeah. you realize everyone's insecure. And if you aren't rattled by people telling you who you are, you actually become a magnet for people. Right. Um, and, and so I was, I, you know, that's that still has served me to this day, just because, you know, I understand my way with people now. And I wouldn't have had to maneuver that if I hadn't had all those unfortunate times being younger. And even again, going to the Peaks Court is something I'm proud of. That was a really good move. And, um, again, everyone thought I was crazy. Not everyone, because I do have a very supportive cheerleading squad in yeah. my life, but you know, it was, it was still crazy. It was, it was kind of like, okay. And every, you know, like, when are you coming back? But, um, yeah, I, am I'm, I'm proud of that decision and, and things that came up, you know, when I was being encouraged to come home cause times got rough for sure. And so I think I'm just proud of how I always listen to that inner voice or Mm. my internal drummer and follow that um, above all else. So... Mm.
0: I love that. I think that's some of the most useful advice I've received in my own life is, you know, the only time where I've really gotten off track is when I didn't listen to that internal voice. And I love how you say you're a magnet for people because I definitely see that in you and that definitely resonates with me. So if some of our listeners wanted to work with you, were curious about your coaching practice and wanted to see what you did, how would they get in touch with you and learn more?
1: You can find me at jennifercovington.com and um, all my information is really there. My work with me page um, is where you could um, get on my calendar and we can talk about anything really 30 minutes um, if you have a big dream and you just don't know how to go about it or you know you have an idea. I love talking to visionaries and dreamers and world changers. So anyone who's just feels lit up and wants to talk, I am, I'm open to that for sure. Um, especially if they're listening to this and, um, heard me through your program, then they're already a friend of mine. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, it's at facebook.com forward slash Jennifer Covington fan page. And, um, Twitter and Instagram. It's both at the real J Cove. So T H E R E A L J C O V. And do you
0: work? Just for clarification, with individuals, do you do group coaching? What's your approach and process?
1: Um, I do both. I work with individuals, um, and again, it's usually the visionaries who are you know wanting to be speakers, authors, coaches themselves, or who I work with mainly like personal development of some kind professionals. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also i just started a group coaching program because I just wanted to make a bigger impact. So, um, that is going to be opening again soon. So definitely either sign up for my newsletter, which you can do at jennifercovington.com. Um, and you will be the first to know about that. So doing some early bird things. So you definitely want to get in on that. Beautiful. I really love that. Thank you, Jennifer, for being yeah.
0: here today. Really, really grateful for your insight, <laughs> you. and for sharing your journey. And thank you to our listeners as well. Once again, thank you for joining us on Moving Forward. I am Kristen Nepper. Good night and Satnam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.